welcome to Resilience Unraveled, featuring scientists, practitioners, experts, and everyday people with knowledge, tips, experience, and great stories to share to help you get a grip of your life. We'll give you insights into a range of subjects, including reducing your stress, improving your emotional intelligence, health and well-being, and controlling your negative thoughts. By doing this, you'll be able to improve your resilience, confidence, control, and perform better every day to live a more productive and purposeful life. For a free resilience ebook, listen through to the end for details. Here's your host, Dr. Russell Thackeray. So I was asked recently uh, whether there was such a thing as a resilient relationship. And um, it just makes sense to think that resilience can be um, resilient because actually, if you think about the definition of resilience, it's all about bouncing back when things get tough. You know, so in other words, if something happened, you sort of need to recover from it in some sort of way. And uh, the more I began to think about it, the more I thought it really did follow our model of personal relationships um, and personal resilience where people bounce back, but also a good relationship weathers the storm. You know, it's it's, it's amazing how many relationships um, get stronger during times of adversity. I mean, there's some relationships that don't survive troubles and difficulties, but it is amazing when you have a good team, when you have a, a good sort of working relationship or... Um, team sort of style, spirit, personal relationship, how you can sort of weather most of what life throws at you. Um, but it's also important, you know, in any sort of relationship to be able to think about resilience in terms of understanding the things that can drain away the resilience that has, has within your relationship. And, um, and of course, like all sort of personal resilience, rela- relationships need the sort of capacity building side of it, investing in the relationship when times are good to make sure that when things get tough, you've got a way of being able to manage the difficulties, manage the challenges, manage the um, the stress that can come from whatever life is starting to throw at you. So um, thinking about relationships to start off with, um, I was going to focus quite broadly today on personal relationships and work-based relationships, really, um, because I think they're both similar at this stage. But I think it's something I'm going to delve into in a bit more depth in the future, pulling apart work relationships first, perhaps, and then investigating some personal relationships, sort of married relationships, um, that sort of thing, family relationships, kids, wives, parents, all that sort of stuff in a lot more detail. But I thought today let's start with a sort of generic overview to sort of explain where I'm coming from in a way. So I think, um, let's start at the very beginning. I think when we first start to put a relationship together, let's say it's a personal relationship, it does stagger me, especially when you talk to younger people, how much, um, maybe I shouldn't be surprised by this, but how much we're still driven by lust, by this idea of types, by this idea of bonding together, really, in the pursuit of actually having a relationship where perhaps children are concerned, or the, they're the sort of um, the primary focus, um, maybe for one party in that relationship certainly but I think also as time goes on some people have second relationships third relationships um, you find that people um, maybe in their who are more mature start to look for more companionship they start to look for a team member they start to move away from that type idea and I think we often find that looking for a type restricts and limits the sort of um, unusual quirky deep relationships that can come from actually not having a fixed idea of what you want so I think um, the starting point for any sort of relationship is to begin to understand who you are 
and to understand what you're looking for. And it's always great to have a set of criteria. I, I was chatting recently to, to a friend of mine who was having a, a profile written for one of the online dating companies. And she started by thinking, well, what is it she, you know, what does she want? Did she, what does she, she wanted for herself? You know, what did she want in a partner? And she wrote a list of about um, 17 things. And once she'd written that list, she sort of put it online or thought about it for herself. And she began to assess everybody against that list of criteria. Well, the problem, of course, was after a month, and she still hadn't had any sort of bites or dates or anything. The problem was we looked at the criteria and realised that it was such a, a specific list, such a, an uncompromising list, that actually it was going to be impossible for anyone to meet someone with all those criteria. So I think it's always important to make sure that you have the negotiables and the non-negotiables, because I think what you have to realise is that finding, finding a, a person that's going to suit you in life, you're never really going to find the perfect person. Part of building a great relationship is the, the work you do together to create the relationship that you want for, with each other. And I think um, as you mature into a relationship, you realise that there are compromises on both sides. And, and the key to a good relationship is the degree to which both sides compromises. It's not about one side compromising at the expense of the other. You often find um, one partner will go into a relationship thinking there are clearly things wrong with that other person and, um, and I will be able to change them. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges because most people really don't change as much as you would perhaps want and maybe as much as perhaps you'd like. So often it's, it's worth thinking if there's something specifically that you don't want in a person and one of the things really to watch out for are degrees of perfectionism and degrees of over control. And, and if you read many, many women's magazines, and um, I have to say that uh, my wife and I do enjoy, uh, enjoy reading the problem pages, but it's amazing how often you'll see this thing where you'll have one party that's over controlling and drives the other partner away from wider relationships. And I think it's one of the things to watch is that you, you don't end up with a relationship that's so intense between two people, particularly in a marriage or a partnership or something, that it excludes other people. Because the secret of building a, a good sustaining relationship once you've found the person you're looking for is to make sure that there are other people within it. It can become too intense, it can become too much to expect from a relationship just to sustain it for two people. So it's important that you have room for yourself, room for the relationship, and if you have kids, obviously room and time to make sure you have built relationships with those people as well. Because kids are, can be a source of immense joy, but also the source of immense stress. It can create pressure and issues for most relationships when you start to throw the dynamic of children into any sort of relationship, especially if you have more than one, because the fun and the joy and the excitement and the stress and the challenge multiplies the more children you seem to have. So it is worth thinking that through. And we often find ourselves at certain stages in our lives, I think it's called the sandwich generation, maybe 40 to 60, where you have demanding kids and sometimes demanding parents as well. And it's really important, therefore, that you've got a really strong inner relationship with your own wife and partner or husband and partner. So you can, so you can have someone who can be a soulmate, someone you who have as a great team member, so you pair of you can face challenges together. And one of the things to bear in mind, therefore, is one of, we've got to invest in these relationships to make them work. So when things are going well, it's important to make sure that we have the energy to spend with each other. That way, we're not being overly stressed by things about the other person. That we've sort of had that maturity of thinking in the relationship where we work out 
what annoys us or irritates us or drives us nuts about our partner and, and the sort of compromises needed to say, well, how can you remove those things or change them? And where do I need to change as well? And it led me to think many years ago this about this idea of a happy ever after contract. And uh, it's something that I know some very successful couples have tried. And um, it's, it's really a very simple idea where you basically sit down and work out um, say every five to seven years, what it is you're attempting to achieve together, where you're going. It's like a, it's like in business terms, a sort of strategy paper, where basically you're saying, well, this is what we're really great at, our strengths. This is where we actually could be better, or our weaknesses, our development areas. And this is actually the sort of negotiables or non-negotiables that we need to fix. You know, what am I prepared to bring to this relationship? But also, what am, where am I prepared to compromise? Where am I prepared to think about things I need to change and sort of negotiate those things with the part with my partner? And I think the point of this is then we can have something we can review once a year and say, well, how are we doing? And I think often we we can be in a relationship and lose some of that resilience because we never really reimagine, we never really bring that initial relationship back to life where when we first got together, it was all fun and dramatic excitement, exciting, perhaps more lustful, perhaps more physically based. And as time's rolled on, then, you know, we've started to perhaps get a bit over familiar and a bit over comfortable with each other. And I know a lot of um, relationship counsellors talk about this idea of, you know, date night and date nights can be great for relationships, but they can also be torture as well. And I think you only need a date night if you want to create a physical contrivance where you sit together and actually talk about stuff. And the thing is, if you're not practised at doing that, it's very, very difficult to make those sorts of things work. So I think what you're trying, trying to do with a happy ever after contract is have a yearly sit down, a yearly think about where you're going and what life's all about and how you together as a team within your relationship are going to face the challenges that life throws at you. And it's really important these days because actually with the demands of uh, more and more anxiety states, so the way that um, Britain's moving and the US is moving at the moment, you know, the, Turbulence is, is more clearly evident in the world than it has been for quite a, a while. The sort of economies are creating ambiguity, work-life balances, and the way work's moving is actually changing things to be more unstable. And dare I say, even the way the high street's operating means that some of the familiar is starting to disappear around us. And actually, as it disappears, that's that pace of change is picking up. And it's really important for us to modernise that relationship, to make sure that we're using all the sort of communication channels around us appropriately, but making sure that we still spend time to really engage face-to-face, one-on-one, and make sure you have time for each other. It, it is one of those classic things that when you talk about people who've fallen out of touch with each other, they don't do the simple things. They don't do that sending a text every lunchtime or you know touching base once or twice a day just to see how someone is. You know that that random thoughtfulness that every now and then can be really lovely. Just you know sending a text saying that you're thinking of someone. It's one of those things that helps sustain a relationship. And it was the sort of thing we did right at the beginning of times together when we first got you know hitched up or whatever it might be. Um, and actually, as time rolls on, that thoughtlessness can dis- that can thoughtlessness sort of creeps in, and it's not because we're being deliberately difficult. It's just because the all-consuming passion seems to have gone such a uh, maybe a little bit, and it's and it's not because it's not there. It's just because we perhaps don't express it as much. 
I mean, the sources of stress also within relationships and families and such like mean that also our attention is diverted away from sometimes that heart, that team right at the centre of um, the family unit. And we're diffused, you know, looking at parents, as I said, children, job stresses and such like. And it's important, I think, to sit down and have a summit of the way you work. And making sure that that summit, the happy ever after contract, is at the heart of your relationship and actually extends to your parents. So you have a clear relationship with your parents where, you know, the boundaries aren't crossed. Like, you know, it can be clear what you want and expect from them. And the same way with, with children as well. It's said that this current crop of children are um, um, more sensitive and more um, demanding than other you know, previous generations. And that can only be due to parenting. And I think it's actually clear that to build, bring up children who are more resilient, we have to let them fail. We have to let them learn from those successes. And it's the same with relationships. We have to sort of say, well, you know, there will be times with our children where they're not going to like us. They're not going to, um, they're not going to be happy with what we say. And do you know what? We've got to, we've got to do that parent bit where we accept that we're not going to be popular and that's the same with relationships as well with our partners we have to accept there will be times when we're not going to get on but it mustn't rock the the inner stability of things because we do change people change slowly over the course of time and and the thing about um most people is that we you know we're susceptible to risk we're susceptible to distraction and it makes sense that you have that sort of relationship with your partner who feels you so much as i said earlier where you can come and talk about anything and one of the key things that you must have on any happy ever after contract is you must be able to talk about everything it doesn't mean that you're going to agree on everything but it means that you shouldn't be taking things off the table because you're worried about protecting the person or you shouldn't be talking about or you should be worried about talking about something that's you know a, a thought or a feeling that is important to worry you but for some reason hasn't been expressed because actually if you can't trust your partner then that's you know that's a, a sort of an issue now no you know in a world where you know one or two marriages end in divorce it, it is interesting how often we face um, crises in relationships and, and people often spit up and then regret for some reason why that happened and often get back together again. And it does make sense to make sure that if you are spitting, you're doing because you want to, not by accident. Like, you know, falling into affairs because you just not really looked after the first relationship and then expect another one to be better. Because if you're going to reform a new relationship, you've got to learn the lessons from the first one. And that is making you more resilient and increasing the chances that further relationships improve. And that doesn't seem to be the case because second marriages, for example, have a higher divorce rate than first marriages. So it seems that we're not making ourselves more wise through relationships that haven't worked so well. So I think it's important to be taking lessons, life lessons and resilience lessons from what's going on around us. You know, we have to get things wrong in order to sit down, think about it, make it up and make our relationship stronger. And I think that's absolutely the key. Um, I think work relationships are somewhat different. I mean, you often are working with people you don't necessarily want to work with. And, you know, there's a, there's, you often end up with a very controlling boss or a bullying boss or a victim-like boss and you're, you know, you're, you're perhaps the problem or people who are more highly sensitive or people who are demanding or difficult or customers who are here, there and everything, everywhere. And I think at the heart of it, if you want to have a strong relationship with someone, you've got to um, have resilience in yourself. You've got to accept that um, you don't always need to be bent out of shape by the people around you. 
unless you sort of handed over power. And it is the case, I think, that um, we, we don't take enough accountability for the relationships we have with other people. We don't recognise that actually the place to start thinking about, the persons to start thinking about when we have a relationship is ourselves. And I think it's, you know, the more we build ourselves up, the more we understand ourselves, the more we recognise ourselves, and recognise where we are failing or getting things wrong, and then putting them right, the more we actually have the skills, the life skills, the experience, the um, the wherewithal to be able to apply that and work that with other people. Because actually, as soon as you put more than one person together, you've got politics with people, you've got vested interests, you've got a negotiation that always needs to take place. And it's very hard to actually build an adult relationship with someone else at work when you're being a victim or you're acting in a sort of childlike state or you're, you know, you're so desperate to be liked so that you're prepared to compromise your morals and your beliefs and your ethics just on the sort of altar of being popular. And I think it's really important that you become more accountable with yourself in the way that you manage relationships. You become accountable for yourself for the things you get right and maybe the things that you need to develop and think about. So I think this has been a bit of an overview on some of the areas I want to maybe investigate in a bit more depth. And um, we're gonna have a couple of guests uh, and think about that. But basically, I think the idea of a resilient relationship models or mirrors this sort of idea of um, the idea of personal resilience, where we have these stages of breakup, breakdown, and then renewal and rebouncing back. That doesn't mean divorce, by the way. That just means that the relationship actually sometimes breaks in order to move forward. Um, it also can evolve on a more conscious level and using things like the sort of review process can help you. Um, so um, I'm going to call a halt to that today now and um, put some um, blogs and some other information uh, on the site and see what you think. And uh, there'll be a LinkedIn question as well, because I'm interested in your views about relationships and how they're working out and um, see how things roll forward. So until the next edition, uh, I wish you happy relationships and a thriving life. Today's podcast useful. If you did, why not subscribe and listen to our other podcasts? We would love it if you could leave us a review. To access our resilience coaching, contact us at info at qedod.com. And finally, if you'd like to download our free resilience ebook, go to qedod.com/slash free ebook. Thanks for listening.